Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 127, BGG Hotness Review. We'd like to thank BGG for keeping all our cardboard nice and toasty. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony. We're back with a brand new episode. And, of course, we're talking about the hottest games on BGG. Do you feel the heat, my friend? So hot. Hot. <laughs> Be careful. Don't touch it. It's still very hot. Too hot. <laughs> so it's not summertime that's causing all that heat. It's all of these great games that BGG has got up on its hotness list. And we're going to talk about all the great games that we want to get to the table as soon as possible when we get to our feature review. But before we get into all that greatness, what's going on, on our social media, Anthony? Anything going on there? Maybe a question of the week? Questions? Nobody asks questions. Are there Just any kidding. hot questions? Hot questions. That's what I'm talking about. There you go. Um, yeah, so I, I asked everybody this week if there was a game or mechanic, if there's a word that they hear that they will run away from the table screaming <laughs> uh, before they'll sit down and play. And the reason this came up is because I had a couple of newer gamers. They've been around a little bit at our game night the other night, but they they brought a bunch of social deduction games. And they're like, <laughs> oh, Shadow Hunters. This is like a board gamer's social deduction game. Yep. And the one guy was like about to run away. And he's like, fine. And he was still not happy. Still not happy. Aww. This was definitely like his line in the sand. I do not like this. So I asked everybody, what do you not like? And what game will you absolutely avoid no matter what? And so I got a ton of answers because everybody has an answer to this question. Sure. I'll just run through a few of these. Jean Henri says, trading. It just never worked well. Could be leftover angst from playing Monopoly with my sister-in-law who saw no point never trading in Monopoly and thus made the game go on forever. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. True. Uh, Willie says, anything with a dexterity element, and I am out. I lean on tables too much, and I am prone to screwing up those types of games without meaning to, and it ruins the game for everyone. Subsequently, I have no dexterity games in my collection. Kurt says, I agree with take that mechanics. When my wife and I play a game, it always ends up being not fun and passive aggressive. Some of the other ones in here, we have auctions. Um, and there was a bit of a conversation there about what types of auctions work, although some can. It just depends on the, the approach you're taking. Cyclades being a good example of an auction where you don't need to know the value of things in advance. The rolling dice and having no way to mitigate their effects, which I'm 100% on board with. Um, I love dice in games, but there better be a way to manage that, like in a felt game. Uh, co-op, hidden trading, social deduction. There was only like two social deductions on in here that people said, and I was I was surprised because that's... That's at the top of mind. That's, that's the ones I avoid. Sure. Yeah, social deduction is always very tricky. There is some exceptions that break the rules. You know, I'll give a social deduction a chance, but I, I do cringe. I do pull back when I hear social deduction. Dexterity games is kind of hit and miss. I will try them out, especially if they look very cool. And I, I guess usually when I hear, oh, this is a brand new mechanic and I have not played this game before, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you see a rule book pull out and they're like, yeah, I think we play it like this. I'm like, oh, no, this is this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't want to help you learn the game. Go home and learn the game. Run away. So, yeah, yeah there's a, a, a bit of challenges. I think the game that 
has started to get people to realize it's my buzzword for running away has to be Splendor. And I don't mean it to be Splendor because I, I, I kind of almost get it why people like Splendor, but still Splendor, I guess games that are supposed to be strategic games when they're not really strategic and that kind of that kind of makes me run away from the table a little bit so yeah i mean that game plays itself after the first four rounds it's so <laughs> i picked up the app we were talking about this the other day and i was like i bought the app because i really want to understand why people love this game i get it it's really cool to have those chips but it's kind of like when you go to lift something and you think it's heavier than it is and you throw yourself backwards because it just does not have that weight to it and just like it's like playing war like you said it plays itself a little bit so yeah I guess everyone's got their buzzword to run away screaming from the table. <laughs> so Yes, we do. Yeah. All right. Um, if you have a buzzword or anything that makes you run away from the table and hopefully not run away from gaming, we want to hear from you. These questions are up there always for your participation, and there's always new questions of the day going up there. So check out our Facebook page if you're not on there already. Anthony's always posting something new there every day. Our Twitter account has those same questions of the day. So if you're not on Facebook, jump on to Twitter. There's a lot of content always going on at BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek. We also have a Patreon account, which allows us to put more content out there with a little donation from you. We have our Amazon affiliate link, which anything you buy on Amazon gives us a little bit of a kickback by magic and doesn't cost you any more. And we really like to hear from you as far as our iTunes and Stitcher reviews. Getting feedback from you really helps us determine the future of the network. And posting there does make a big difference on getting our, getting our hobby out to the community. So please, please go on iTunes, go on Stitcher, and leave us a review. And don't forget our YouTube channel. So if you're not listening to us on a iTunes or iPod or anything like that, or not just your phone and YouTube works for you, we have a, an account there. So all of these great podcasts go up there, plus reviews and previews. But all that being said, let's get on to the episode. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? Okay, so this is a game that I actually spotted at Origins and didn't get a chance to check out. I don't actually know if they had a booth. Might be out, might have been outside the big room. Um, but it is called Summit the Board Game, and it was kickstarted not too long ago. And it is a, so this is what they say, it is a competitive, cooperative, and solo survival game with a two-sided board and variable mechanisms. So often if you say that many things in one sentence to describe your game, I'm a little wary. But looking at the game, seeing how it plays, hearing early impressions, it actually looks pretty cool. So the idea of the game is that you are racing up this mountain in the competitive version and trying to manage your resources, build a path, overcome all these obstacles, and basically survive. It also has a pretty cool idea, which I'd like to see in practice, of a karma system. So you can either help or hinder your opponents, but it'll affect your scoring. So I kind of like that idea of it's it's got to take that element, but if you do that, it might hurt you. It might come back to hurt you, kind of like the, the greater world around us, right? The cooperative and solo mode, you're all working together versus against each other. That's a different side of the board. So presumably, it's a little bit harder, and you only need one person to survive to win the game. I don't know that I would consider that a success if I climbed a mountain, if everybody around me died, but there you go. It looks pretty cool. So it's a game I'm definitely going to check out. It's not one that I feel anything in my collection really matches up with. I don't have 
a lot of mountain climbing games. Don't really have a lot of racing games, to be honest. So uh, it, it looks pretty cool. So I'm going to go make sure to track this down at Gen Con. Yeah, I think that's great. And like you said, that's a mechanic and theme that's we often don't see in gaming. And it's always great to see something new like that because it's going to capture someone's attention and bring them into the industry. Yeah, definitely. Anytime it's something new, that's cool. Yeah, so talking about new or new new, if you get that reference, you, you know where I'm going with this. That's Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Now, this is a kind of deck building, tableau building game from Renegade Games. Now, I happen to be a big fan of Edgar Wright's movie, and the comic book slash graphic novels are pretty amazing. So if you're a fan of this theme, you're probably going to like the fact that they're coming out with a game. And actually, I believe it's out at San Diego Comic-Con. If you happen to be out there, you can pick up a copy. And if you do, please send me one because I really do want to play this game. <laughs> So this is the artwork by Brian Lee O'Malley, and the designer here is Keith Baker. And basically what we're looking at here is maybe a little bit of a different take on the whole cryptozoic kind of engine here, where you're going to play cards in order to beat the big, bad, evil X. But the cards are a little different. This is what really kind of sets the game apart. When you start the game, you're going to have a character card, one of the classic characters directly from the comic book, because this is all direct comic book art. So if you love the comic book art, and you really should, it's pretty amazing, then you're really going to like this game. But what you're doing in this game is your hero is going to have a special power, not too crazy here, but there's also going to be plot cards, there's going to be challenges, combat cards, and story cards. So if, once again, if you're a big fan of this, I would just say it, meta genre about video gaming, it's now in board game form. So the cards are interesting here because they're going to be double-sided. So you can actually build up a, build a little bit of an engine to kind of get through the different challenges as you're facing down some baddies, as you're going through life in general, as you're putting together your band, or you can play the cards by their kind of video game action mode where allows you to do more direct attacks. So I like this idea because I want to play a little bit more on the Euro side, building up that tableau of powers, where you might have some gamers at the table who might want a more of an Ameritrash type of play. So being able to put these two types of play in the same game is great. Artwork is outstanding, and it's a fun little concept, especially if you are into Scott Pilgrim or into video gaming generally. Awesome. Yeah, no, I love... I, I honestly haven't read the comic books, but I do love the movie. And I, I didn't get the, the hate it got, but I guess anytime you're doing a comic book adaptation, there's always going to be people who aren't fans. The movie is just... It's a kind of a cult classic, and I think it's going to go on from there. And I think it's just so witty and quick that I probably would recommend the movie much more to kind of check that out first, because, as I said, this is a very, very thematic game. But I like the idea of having a couple little Euro mechanics with a couple of Meritrish mechanics in the same spot. And, you know, we need something new and different as far as gaming is concerned, especially when you have a diverse table sitting down there. And I like this idea. So that is Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Card Game. It's out and it's going to be hitting stores pretty soon. So that's everything from our acquisition disorder. Now to games that are getting out to the table with BGA. So, Anthony... What are you playing this week? Okay, so I'm going to lighten things up a little bit from the, the heavy games I'm usually talking about, and we're going to talk about Word Slam. Word Slam! This was a recent Spiel des Jahres recommended game uh, by Inca and Marcus Brand, who also won the Kenner Spiel this year for their Exit series, so very busy. And it's it's a word game. And basically the idea is 
there's two teams of people that can have any number of people on them. I think the box is 48 or it's 4 to 99. <laughs> so there you go. Any number of people on either side. And there will be somebody who's giving the clues and everybody else is guessing the clues. Very similar to code names. Those two people look at a word from a list. They'll roll a die, look at the numbers on the on the card, on the list, and that's the word that you're going to say when both sides are ready to go. You say word, slam. You flip over a, a sand timer. If you are giving the clue and want to speed things up, you get control of that sand timer. If you do not, you, you never flip it, and it can take forever. And basically what you're doing is you're taking this big pile of 105 cards, and you're trying to describe the word using only those 105 cards. You have to be silent verbally. Um, and so the cards are nouns, verbs, adjectives, or prepositions. And so you might get things like, you know, the clue might be flat travel east, west, south, north. What is that? It's a map. And so what you're trying to do is form kind of a picture of what that thing is with these different words. You have two trays, so you can break them apart. If you have two words, you can overlap them. Um, you can describe things. You can remove cards back and forth if people are going down the wrong track. And... It's very chaotic. Uh, so people are constantly guessing. Everybody's going back and forth. And that's why I really like it. Code names never really sat well with me because there's so much downtime. You know, once they get the clue, they stare at the board for a while. They're trying to figure out which words to do, what clue to give. Um, and then if you're not the clue giver, you spend a lot of time sitting there just hanging out. You know, it's not a lot of fun unless you have a, a group of people who have played a lot or who can give the clues quickly. This game, that doesn't happen because you have to start giving clues immediately. If you don't, the other team's going to beat you to it because it's simultaneous. It's unlike Codename. You're not taking turns. You're going quick, quick, quick. So if you don't start putting cards out, even if they're bad clues, put something out to get people moving, start saying things, then you're wasting time. You're going to lose. It's really, really quick. I think the base game is 10 of these cards, and that took like 20 minutes. It gets more difficult uh, when you get to the harder words. Sometimes they're multiple words. Sometimes they're concepts. Sometimes they're the name of a book or a person. Much, much harder to nail it down to that. But that's cool, too, because you get kind of that next level challenge once you play the game a little bit. I've seen people do this a couple of ways. You have the stacks of cards, which are actually pretty well formatted to flip through. Or you can lay them all out on the table and pull from this giant tableau, which hurts my brain a little bit, so I don't do that. But um, also an option if you want to speed things up. So, yeah, Word Slam. I, for me, as somebody who doesn't generally like party games but does like word games, I've always wanted to like code names and just never quite got it. Um, I think it'd be great with the family when it doesn't need to go quickly and downtime's not an issue. But with gamers, it just bores the snot out of me <laughs> half the time. And it's one of the reasons I like pictures better. Uh, this is a great replacement for that for me. So this is one that I will almost certainly bring out when I will not bring out code names. So it's a, it's a buy. I definitely think you should check it out. Wow, it sounds great. It's nice to have something new that kind of takes code names to the next level because code names is so recognizable. It gets played almost every game night. So if I can bring this to the table and say, hey, you all like code names, right? Try this because it's just a little bit better there. Yeah, well, people say code names is a party game. It's really not. People no. are so quiet. And you can't, and there's all these rules about who can talk and not talk. Word slam, everybody's yelling stuff the whole time. It's, and it's quick. It is actually a party game. And it's one I like, which is weird. So <laughs> <laughs> It's been done. It done. happened. It is. <laughs> Nonetheless. Okay. So going from me from very light to actually very heavy, a 3.52 on the heaviness scale for Board Game Geek, I want to talk about Automobile from Martin Wallace. I have a deep admiration for Wallace's games, and I do 
like them, or let me say at least, I do really want to like them. They tend to be kind of dry in some cases, a little bit obscure in its its general clunkiness as far as what are you supposed to do. You really have to get into Wallace's mind when you're playing these games. Once you do, once you're locked in, you're good. But at least the first couple initial plays are going to generally be challenging because in some cases, the games just don't... And in particular, the reason for that is his games tend not to be thematic or at least not deeply thematic. Now, once again, I don't mean this like deeply thematic like you know the Scott Pilgrim game where it's just very colorful and interesting and dynamic. I'm talking thematic in the way Eurogamers talk about thematic, which is things seem to follow logically from one step to the other and the way the board looks it seems to kind of have a certain flow to it that just by getting a sense of it and looking at the board you understand the way in which the game is going to play now playing automobile at least for me seems to be the most well i want to say one of the most most thematic games from wallace as far as being understandable and being thematic as far as how it looks how it plays out and the actions that you take. Now, it has a bright, colorful, interesting board. And from what Wallace says, this is one of the reasons why he came up with this game because the artwork on the board is so dynamic. And basically what you're looking at here is your standard rectangle board. And on the outside is not a victory point track because victory points are gonna be calculated by the money that you make in this game, but it's actually all of these models of cars from the originals all the way up to, I guess what you would say, slightly kind of modern-esque, probably like the 30s and 40s. But basically, on your turn, you are going to build factories on these different models. And the object of the game is obviously to sell the most cars in order to have the, the most money at the end of the game. But since innovation always keeps moving up, the actions are going to allow you to build different models as the game goes on. And these different models kind of go from the very, very basic economy cars to mid-range cars all the way up to luxury cars. And the board itself really shows this nicely. So when you build a car, it's going to be color-coded by that class. And as technology moves along, you're going to see that the cars become more and more advanced. And by building factories in the more advanced cars, you'll have opportunities to score, of course, more money in the game but also outpace your opponents because if I'm building something that's much more advanced than you, you're going to be penalized for selling a car that isn't as modern. So really thematic as far as that's concerned. But the main mechanic of this game is kind of based around demand tiles. So just being like any economic engine, you have to know what the demand in the market is. So at the start of each round, you are going to randomly draw a demand tile. Now the numbers are going to be between two and five. And this is going to determine at the end of the round, and there's four rounds in this game, what the demand for the cars are going to be. Now this is critical because while you're building factories on these car models and you're producing cars, if you don't take into consideration what the market may look like, and once again, this is randomly an every player is going to have one piece of this information, you're going to put yourself in a bit bad situation where you spent all this money, the market wasn't there, you've really kind of put yourself in a bad spot because once again, there's only four rounds in this game. 
So once you pick those tiles, you're going to choose a character. Now what's really interesting here is they're going to be one of these historical characters like, for example, Ford or Chrysler, where you're going to be able to pick them and then get a special ability. Maybe they will allow you to build factories. Maybe they'll allow you to have more research and development cubes that'll come into play later in the game. Just a nice opportunity to kind of give you a little, just a little bit of asymmetrical gameplay. Now, the actions are pretty simple. You could take an action to get more research and development cubes, and that's important because if you want to build more modern cars, you're going to need these cubes to kind of bump you along the way, and they're going to cost a cube for each step that you're moving beyond the most modern car that's currently being produced. Obviously, you can build factories, and the factory cost is on the board, so that's really nice. And in that situation, you can build one or two factories if you want to pump out cars. The more factories you have on a car model spot, the more cars you can produce, obviously. Then you can produce cars. Now, the car cost is going to be based upon what model. So economy cars are 50, mid-range is 70, and luxury is 100. Now, not to worry. If you're able to sell these cars, you're going to make a profit, almost double of what you're going to do as far as producing the cars. You're going to be able to place distributors or salespeople out on the market. So no matter what the market turns out to become, having those distributors, those salespeople out there, they can sell the cars before the market kind of triggers. So it's a nice way if you've overproduced, you'll be able to actually sell those cars in advance. Now, as I said, since this game is thematic and since the tiles are going to play a very big part on it, if you haven't been able to sell your cars before the tiles take effect, those tiles come into effect, and then based upon where you played your cars and your turn order in that game, you're going to be able to sell cars and hopefully sell as many as possible. Now, there is some mitigating things that you can be able to do here. You can advertise. You can buy, you know, trading in those R&D cubes. You can even sell your cars for a cheaper value which is not optimal, but at the same time, it's going to allow the market to focus on you and therefore get your cars out there. So it's not a bad situation, but it's it's a challenge. At the end of the round, you're going to calculate the losses. So if you didn't sell cars, you're going to get those penalty cubes. If your car factories are out of date, you're going to take penalty cubes. And basically, this is going to take you know four rounds of the same thing. But there's going to be more demand tiles that are going to come into play that are going to be based upon the mid-market and the luxury cars. So the game does ramp up as you modernize your factories, you're closing down your factories. And in all, Automobile is an interesting thematic game for Martin Wallace. Now, this is not a new game, and I think at this point... It's not currently in print, but if you do see this game from 2009, Automobile is something that you definitely want to sit down at the table and play. I don't know if I could recommend this as a buy, and what's surprising here is this would be a buy for me if it wasn't for the one challenge that the demand tiles make or break you in this game. Now, I understand it's very thematic, and I'm not against that, but it's so much of the game that you're just kind of guessing numbers. And there really isn't a lot of control in that case. And there isn't a lot of way to mitigate beyond the distributors there. So a solid, solid Martin Wallace game here. If you haven't played Wallace before because it's a little bit on the heavy side, definitely recommend playing this before Brass. Uh, and 
yet it has a lot of the great features from Via Nebula. So automobile, solid play. Sounds very much like all those other games, like <laughs> kind of in the middle. Yeah, there it's it's kind of the the middle of the pack. It does a solid job as far as the theme is concerned because when I sat down to play this game, I was like, oh no, everyone knows how to play this but me, and I'm gonna kind of get thrown off. But for once, the board makes sense. The what the steps make <laughs> sense, and it's all out there on the board. So it's a really nice display there. Don't be afraid. Sit down and play this game. It's not as choke heavy as a lot of his other games. All right, so that's the games that are hitting our table this week. Now on to our feature review. We are talking about BGG Hotness. We're talking about the current week's hotness games out there, all the games that you're talking about and the games that you want us to know about, and why the heck are they on the hotness this week? So, Anthony, why don't you take us through the hotness, how they made BGG's top 15? All right, let's do it. So first on the list is First Martian's Adventure on the Red Planet. This is the newest from Ignacy Trevacek, re-implementing some bits of Robinson Crusoe. And the reason it's up here is the first 3,000 pre-orders went out the last (laughs) couple weeks. So I have my copy. A few other people have their copies. Everybody else will wait until the end of August. That's what everybody's talking about. And also the rules are a mess. So (laughs) lots of chat. Check out an unboxing video by you on our YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, check it out if you want to see what's in the box of the pre-orders. It's mostly the same, a couple little completely superfluous additions that they added. Okay. Uh, Next on the list is Custom Heroes. This is the new one from AEG that uses the card crafting system. It's a trick-taking game, so I don't care. (laughs) But it is is card crafting, so it is interesting to see what they're going to do next with that. Uh, Next up here is King Domino. We all know this game well. It, It just won the Spiel des Jahres this last Monday. So that is uh, almost 100% why it's on here at this point. Mm -hmm. Cities of Splendor there at number four. This is the new expansion for Splendor coming out at Gen Con. I don't really know much about it, but I'm not really a big Splendor fan. But based on auction attendance, I know how many Splendor fans there are. So this will be a hot, hot release at Gen Con this year for sure. Uh, Number five on the list is Gloomhaven. Nothing new. Nothing's changed. It's just the big hot game that it's been all year. So it's still there. Terraforming Mars at the number six spot. Uh, Terraforming Mars did not win the Kinder, the Kinder Spiel this year, but it is still you know one of the top rated games of the last five years. So people are still talking about it. And I think it's finally available, maybe, at least temporarily. Yeah. So A little sad there, but I kind of called that and King Domino. It's just, it's just too heavy for them. Yeah, I know. Some people were upset. Like, well, why'd they nominate it if it wasn't going to win? It's the better game. Like, I think they always wanted to give it credit, but there's no way this was going to win. No. Um, Next up is Seventh Continent. This is a adventure game with, I think, something like 1,500 cards in the box. Massive, massive game that was up on Kickstarter maybe two, two and a half years ago. It's taken a while to fulfill, but people are starting to get their copies. They're running a new Kickstarter this fall, too, so everybody who missed it, it is coming back. But that's about all I know at this point, because I did not back this. So. I wanted to back it. I missed it. Yeah, yeah, I was right on the fence. It was pretty expensive. So yeah. I think I went with Gloomhaven, and they were about the same time. Sword and Sorcery is the new dungeon crawl from Ares Games. Uh, this released at Origins, and it has been getting into backers' hands, and it's been getting some decent buzz. Um, actually got a copy in uh, that we'll be reviewing here in the next couple weeks. Uh, someone from BGA will be taking a look at this, and it it's, takes a couple interesting spins on dungeon crawls. Uh, number nine, Arkham Horror, the card game. Yep, still here. I don't think it's going anywhere. This will be like Lord of the Rings was for so many years. It'll just be up in the hotness 
consistently because they release something new for it every month. Um, and then number 10 is Scythe. Scythe, like Terraforming Mars, has been one of the top games in the last five years. Mm-hmm. It just won a bunch of awards. The Origins Award won the Dice Tower um, Award for Best Game. So it is moving moving along strong. I know there's an expansion coming out here in the next six months or so, too. So people are looking at that. True. Uh, righty, number 11, Dice Forge. This is the game where you... It's basically a deck-building game, but with dice instead of cards. It's pretty decently light, and it's been pretty hot. I mean, since it came out here, I think, two or three weeks ago, and people have been playing it, you know, a decent amount. So we'll see if it sticks around. It's a bit gimmicky. But it does have one of the best inserts I've ever seen. Concordia jumps onto the list because it's finally back in print. Yeah. So the new version... <laughs> Everybody's been waiting to pick up a copy of this. It's finally possible... Um, it has the new artwork, which looks exactly the same as the old artwork. <laughs> so I'm not sure why they changed it, but there you go. It's 1% better. It's 1% better. It is a little better. but It's a little better. better. Nemo's War is a new game for Victory Point Games. This is one of their first games with real components. It was originally a solo game. It came in a plastic bag. Now it's a big full production, and it's cooperative, and you can play with up to four people. I think it's still primarily solo, but there's that. So I'm sure Jason and I will be reviewing that at some point in the not-too-distant future. Century Spice Road. Uh, this was very hot at Origins. This is the new Splendor, so <laughs> slightly better than Splendor, I think. Um, but it'll remain hot. I think the new printing of it just hit, so it jumped back up here on the list. Great. And then the last one on the top 15 is Founders of Gloomhaven. This is the new Kickstarter from Isaac Childress and Cephalofair Games. It is a Euro, pure Euro, uh, set in the Gloomhaven, Gloomhaven universe, which Chris just talked about, actually, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I was really surprised this week was that the other Spiel des Jahres, the Kennerspiel, uh, Exit, did not make the list. Yeah, I think it just got watered down because they rewarded it to three games, basically. Yeah. So no one of those games was pointed out more than the others. Yeah, still surprising. Still not sure if it's going to eventually hit the big board gaming kind of market as, as hard as the other ones did, especially King Domino, which is a great game, and we reviewed it already, but... Wow, number three in the hotness. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that game's going to be around for a long, long time. Like, have, as someone who plays it with my six-year-old, and he just, I don't know, he can beat me decently well. It's not significantly complicated. It'll be around for a while. All right, so that's our BG hotness for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. 